G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. 2020, bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au. Great to have you along with us. It is the Wednesday edition of 2020 and a special edition uh, this hour in particular when we're going to talk about what we've been discussing as what's called the crucible of persecution. There are some things that are happening around the world that if we're not aware of, we ought to be shaken by because there are some just unbelievable things that are happening to Christians in so many areas, so many nations. And when it comes to persecution these days, Christians are the most persecuted people group on earth. You might have been following a number of different stories that have been both on vision and, of course, in mainstream media. One of those to do with a Sudanese woman who has been sentenced to death by hanging because she was found guilty of converting from Islam to Christianity. You might also have been covering or listening in for details all about the schoolgirls who were abducted in Nigeria by the group called Boko Haram. Well, what seems to be neglected in mainstream media reporting is that these were Christian schoolgirls. So when it comes to the issue of persecution, uh, the mainstream media listening audience is hearing perhaps only half of the story because while there are reports about Boko Haram and Islamic extremists, uh, sometimes it's neglected that when the uh, subject of what's happening is Christian, uh, those things are not being reported. Well, we're going to talk about a number of different persecution issues through this coming hour. And uh, a special welcome to Joe from Open Doors, who's joining us uh, to talk through issues that are going on in Sudan. Hello, Joe. Great to talk to you. Hi, morning, Neil. Joe, you've been following along very carefully this story of the woman in Sudan, and I just wanted to uh, to just express the good news. And you might have heard the good news yesterday that uh, this lady actually gave birth to the baby that she'd been expecting. Uh, were you aware that she'd given birth? Yes, yes, we heard the report that she she's given birth to a to a daughter. Yes, they are calling Maya. They're calling her Maya, and uh, if that doesn't uh, catch the heartstrings, knowing that for the past four months she's been shackled to the floor of what's been considered to be a disease-ridden jail, uh, this is, uh, I guess, a glimmer of of light. At least, you know, from here in Australia, we uh, we look at that and we say, well, isn't that good news? But the fact that she's shackled to a floor in jail doesn't make us feel good about her circumstances. You've been following it along. Uh, what do you, what do you understand of of her circumstance and what she's going through right now? Well, I think Neil, what's very hard for her at the moment is the separation, indeed, from her husband and the fact that she has now two um, children to care for in very difficult circumstances. Um, she was, of course, as you know, um, she was arrested and um, convicted of apostasy and adultery. And um, although she considers herself a Christian, 
she has been put under immense pressure to recant that faith and to return to Islam. So and these faults would would be on her mind. But I think um, what's been, been very encouraging for us is the fact that she is very strong in the faith and that she's been really um, clear in her testimony and her unwillingness to return to Islam under this pressure. Of course, hearing these sorts of stories, Joe, uh, puts a human face, doesn't it, on Christians who are going through such intense persecution in some nations. And Open Doors, just a wonderful organisation, the way you guys are monitoring uh, the persecution that's happening in nations around the world. And if we were talking about Sudan in the context of other nations that are persecutors of Christians, uh, you produce what's called the World Watch List. Uh, where does Sudan sit on that world watch list? Because you tend to rate nations from uh, 1 to 50. Uh, one, of course, uh, being North Korea, which is uh, just a dreadful regime, and the way they persecute Christians there is awful. Where does Sudan sit on the list? Well, Sudan is 11th on the um, world watch list for 2014. Um, and this is because of the persecution of Christians on a societal level, but also from the government. Um, Sudan is a Sharia-governed state, um, and it's very much Islam is very much embedded into the society. So, although there's this um, official pressure on, on Christians, there's also societal pressures because Islam is so um, part of the society and the culture in Sudan, and particularly for um, Muslim background believers, life is, is very difficult um, in Sudan. Now, in Sudan, we appreciate that just of recent years, there was something of a separation of the uh, nation of South Sudan from Sudan. And, uh, you know, in a general sense, I guess uh, you have Islamic people in the north and Christians moved to the south. Uh, does that actually, uh, and I know that hasn't been an easy track either for the Sudanese to be able to uh, to to cope with all of that pressure. But when, when we talk about uh, Miriam Ibrahim, uh, the lady we're talking about who's facing execution, she's in the north, isn't she, in Sudan? She's in Sudan, in a, in a prison in Khartoum, in the capital. And so when we think about what sort of pressure Christians are under in North Sudan, in the nation of Sudan, what should we be thinking about? How are Christians treated under that Islamic regime? Well, it's a very controlling um, situation. The government um, has exhibited very controlling behaviour. Um, they don't want any dissident. Um, they don't want any... Um, uprisings in, in the society. Um, so in, in the northern areas around the capital, you know, things are very, very hard for the Christian church. And since um, the independence of South Sudan, a large contingent of um, Christians that have lived there from South Sudan in Sudan have returned to South Sudan under pressure. And this has actually left the church um, quite weak and um, diminished in number. And this has left the local indigenous church also exposed um, to some degree, and it's, it's put them under immense pressure. So the political changes in Sudan have brought along added pressure um, for Christians in Sudan. But they've always lived in a society in the north when it was still North Sudan. They've always lived in a society that, that was very um, antagonistic towards Christians. But as I say, the, the independence of South Sudan has really um, caused added pressure in the fact that a lot of those who were from the South, who were Christians, have had to repatriate to, to the South. Joe. And then also in the, in the border regions, maybe I can just say that in the border regions of Sudan, there's also a lot of pressure. Um, the 
towards the southern parts of um, Sudan, there are um, African people. That, of course, the people of Sudan are predominantly Arab people. But towards the south of that country, there's a, a large um, section it's from African background. And there's a large church among those groups as well. And there's a lot of pressure on them as well because they are fighting a battle for self-determination. And this has also brought a lot of pressure for them in, in terms of warfare even against them. Joe, the story of Miriam Ibrahim, as I was saying, puts a human face on what's happening with Christians in Sudan. And as I understand it, when she's just one of many Christians who are facing intense persecution, intense suffering, and she's facing execution, but others are living in fear for their lives in a whole lot of different ways. Yeah, exactly. There's, um, you're not allowed to um, reach out with evangelism in, in Sudan um, we know of several cases of Christians who, or people who have converted to Christianity from Islam who have, placed, who have been placed under immense pressure. We know of another um, Christian mother who recently um, applied for identity documents. Um, and in the process of application, she was asked um, what her religion is and what the religion of her father is. And she explained that she's a Christian mother who's married to a Christian and that her father was a Muslim. And on Based on that testimony, they also charged her with apostasy. And sadly, in that circumstance, she has um, returned to Islam under this pressure in an, in an attempt to avoid the death penalty. And then we know also of another young man who's, who's going through a similar trial who has converted to Islam and has now been um, charged with apostasy. So he faces similar trials as, as Miriam is facing. So we always have to remember, although, you know, we look at the statistics and we, we hear the news, but there's always a human being behind us. There's always someone, a brother and a sister, who's, who's going through a very, very difficult time and, and we need our support and prayer. It's easy for us here in Australia to say, yes, we'll be bold in our faith and uh, we'll never change from our Christian beliefs. But when we see the story of Miriam, she is so determined. She says, I couldn't pretend to even go back to Islam. She really wants to stay firm in her Christian faith. But, but what she's facing, she's got some other issues ahead too, because uh, as I understand it, uh, the sentence that comes with the execution also includes... Uh, the uh, receiving of a hundred lashes before she is to be executed. I imagine the pressure on her will be, we're going to give you a hundred lashes so that you will recant your Christian faith and return to Islam. Is that the way that that sort of fear works with the Islamic control? Yeah, I believe this is part, a big part of what she's living through is um, pressure and intimidation to, to get her to return to Islam or to embrace Islam. In her case, she would see it as an embracing of Islam. Um, the hundred lashes um, is a sentence for um, the adultery that she's accused of. She has a brother who tracked her down. She says she doesn't know him. She doesn't have any relationship with him. But he's managed to track her down and found her living or being married to a Christian man. And, of course, that's against Islamic law. And that's why she was um, accused of adultery. And, and the hundred lashes is for the adultery charge. The death sentence is for the fact that she has said in this process, she said, but I am not a Muslim, I'm a Christian. And that is why the um, apostasy um, charges followed. It certainly is very serious. And for some listening into our conversation, it may be almost beyond belief. They'd say, how could this sort of thing happen? That's not the only thing that's happening on the continent of Africa, too, because another big story that's been in the news, of course, has been these hundreds of 
Christian schoolgirls who were abducted by the organisation Boko Haram. That's something you've been following along very closely too. Indeed, yes. What are your thoughts on what's happening with those schoolgirls now? Well, from what we understand from media reports is that the, the government has said that they have spotted the girls and that they are somewhere in Chad. Um, they've been able to cite them, but it's a very delicate process to try and um, get them f- released. And they are, they were negotiating from media reports we gather that they were in a negotiation process with Boko Haram, but it's a very complex situation. It's a, you know, um, the insurgency of Boko Haram has been going on since 2009. It's actually an organization that started earlier, but really the, the, brutal part of, of this insurgency has started in 2009, and it has had an immense effect on the society in northern Nigeria, and even to, to the south to a certain degree as well. And so you would understand that the, the situation for the government, would, it is a very complex situation. It has touched people's lives. Thousands of people have died. So many families have been broken up. So many churches have been affected. There has been such a a lot of crime related to, to what's going on in northern Nigeria, that it's, it's a very difficult situation and really needs our prayer. What jo- happened to the girls is actually an example of something that we have been warning about for a long time. Um, Boko Haram has a, at its heart um, the, the aim to Islamize the entire northern areas of, of Nigeria and place it under Sharia law. They have no room for secular government, um, for secular education, they really want a Sharia state in, in all of northern Nigeria. And in this process, they've really tried to eradicate the church. And very often this has been, you know, one of the ways that they have done this was to attack girls and, and to abduct girls. And this has been going on for a very long time. It's the first time we see it at this level, um, but this is something that has been going on for a long time. So these these um, Christian girls from Chibok are basically facing something that many others have faced and, and their stories have never been really told in, in, in the secular media. And Joe, it's attracted the international attention of governments all around the world who all sort of seem to be standing up and saying, yes, we're here to help and, and uh, to rescue the girls. But of course, as you say, it's such a sensitive situation. Uh, even though they know the girls are there, any move to try and rescue them may well in fact end in uh, their own execution. Uh, that's, the, that's the upshot, isn't it? That's the danger. Exactly. Yes, exactly. And there have been a lot of um, offers of help to the Nigerian government. I just have to add that um, governments have been showing support and they have tried to help. Um, the government of Nigeria, for various reasons that, that I can't really explain, but they have been very slow in accepting the, the assistance. They have really said from the start that this is a domestic issue that we want to settle domestically. But through this whole crisis, they have um, come to a point where they've asked for help. And, and we are very thankful for that. And we're very thankful for the support that they are getting. And we just keep praying for wisdom for the governments to really know how to tackle this issue because it is a very, very complex problem. Joe, I want you to stay with us for a short while longer because uh, we're talking through these issues today to do with the crucible of persecution, that Christians are in hot spots. There are nations around the world where Christians are under intense persecution. And uh, it's not only Open Doors that is uh, operating in these areas and uh, getting word out about what's happening uh, to Christians in nations around the world, although that World Watch list certainly is a very prominent way uh, that we can see that persecution is going on. There are other organizations too, like the Voice of the Martyrs, who are also involved 
involved in different areas where people are being persecuted for their Christian faith around the world. And I want to welcome into our conversation today John Wilson, who is the CEO of Voice of the Martyrs. Hello, John. Welcome to 2020. Hi there. Neil, good to hear from you. Uh, John, you've been to Africa too, and uh, you've seen some of the circumstances that Christian believers are under, and you've obviously been following this Nigeria situation fairly closely. Uh, from the Voice of the Martyrs' perspective, uh, what sort of things have been happening with you? Well, firstly, I think um, Joe's done a very uh, admirable report on, in detail of the, uh, the same type of uh, ideas and thoughts and uh, uh, concerns that we have at Voice of the Martyrs with regard to the these young young ladies who have been abducted in there, and it, it really is concerning for us here at the Voice of the Martyrs, and possibly uh, Neil the people listening here today have heard this Boko Haram and it really would be important to know to tell them that Boko Haram really translates to Western education is forbidden and this is the nature of them trying to uh, take out the completeness of all all of this uh, Christianity in the northern parts and the whole of Nigeria by imposing a strict Islamic state uh, under Sharia law there in March 2013, Neil, I had the privilege of going into the northern parts of uh, uh, Nigeria, Ngombe in particular there, and had the opportunity of meeting face-to-face many pastors, uh, many leaders, and also, sadly, many widows that had been affected by the, the Boko Haram. I remember um, meeting six widows who had recently lost their husbands only two weeks they had lost their husbands in a, in a Boko Haram event who claimed responsibility with uh, a great accolade in the sense of uh, tearing down the, the Christians and such forth from there. It, can you imagine uh, if someone just came to your door and your husband, a pastor, answered the door at the knocking and all of a sudden, without anything said, a gun was pointed straight to his head and opened fire at point blank range. It just happened so fast. And one of the widows, you know, uh, told me that story there. These stories are just so moving to hear of these atrocities. And what can we do about that? As Christians in the Western world, it's a deep concern for us meeting these, these believers, seeing their courage, how they're actually processing this traumatic event in their lives all perpetrated by the forces of evil. Well, John, I want you to stay with us too, and Joe, stay with us, because I want to come back after a short break, and I want to be able to ask that question. What can we as Christian believers do from our comfortable position here in Australia, seeing that there is such a crucible of persecution of Christian believers around the world? We'll come back and we'll answer that question in just a few moments. It's Neil Johnson with you on 2020. Our special guests this hour, Joe from Open Doors and John Wilson, who's the CEO of Voice of the Martyrs. We are talking through issues to do with the crucible of persecution. So many nations around the world, I've been calling them hotspots, but there's a list of 50 nations on the World Watch list that's released by Open Doors that shows the varying degrees of persecution of Christian believers around the world. We've been talking about... Miriam Ibrahim, who's the Sudanese woman who has been sentenced to death by hanging after being found guilty of converting from Islam to Christianity and marrying a Christian man. Now, before she's executed sometime within this next two years, 
she'll receive a hundred lashes uh, before she's executed. We've been talking about the hundreds of schoolgirls who've been abducted in Nigeria. The circumstances that face uh, the Nigerians, how the world looks on and almost helpless to be able to do something to help. But what goes amiss is that those schoolgirls are Christian schoolgirls and they've been abducted by this extremist organisation called Boko Haram. We're talking about these issues, Joe. We're talking about these issues, John. Uh, the big question on our lips is, here we are in Australia, uh, sitting in our comfortable homes and looking across the world and saying, well, that's happening on the other side of the world. Joe, come to you first. What can we do as Christian believers from Australia when such atrocities are happening around the world? Well, Neil, we always say prayer is the least we can do and it's the best we can do. Um, it is really so strengthening and so encouraging for us to see how people have rallied around these two circumstances that we've talked about this morning and just shown tremendous care and tremendous love through prayer and, and engagement for, for these um, people. And then we also feel that, you know, we, we have an opportunity to learn from their example and, and just to listen to them and to see their testimony of faith and faithfulness to Christ and how Christ is sustaining them also in, in their very difficult circumstances. So we have a very big um, feeling that we, we want to learn from, from persecuted Christians and, and apply that also to our lives. Joe, the feeling of abandonment that happens to people who are in lands where there is severe persecution, that's one of the big issues. One of the things that Open Doors does is have a, a letter-writing campaign. How can people be a part of that and support some of these people in persecuted lands? Well, you can refer to our Open Doors website and to find information on, on where you, who you can write to. We have a letter-writing campaign for the Christians in Chibok, for the, the parents who have been affected by this terrible event. Um, and we are constantly writing letters to them and sending them encouragement so that they would know that they um, that they are supported and loved by the, the wider body of Christ around the world. And then also for um, Miriam Ibrahim, we, we have some engagement and you can find those details on the Open Doors website as well. Yes, well, do Google that Open Doors website and see what ways that they're offering for being a part of a solution rather than just wallowing around in our pity that we could perhaps have for those who are being persecuted. John Wilson, Voice of the Martyrs, you guys have been doing a fabulous job for decade upon decade, keeping people informed of these issues of persecution. We mentioned prayer, we mentioned letter writing. Are there any other ways we can help? I think the most important thing is prayer, but becoming informed and educated about these issues are vitally important, Neil. And through our newsletter and like uh, Open Doors as well, we do report the best of the news firsthand from our national contacts to give us the firsthand events to give us how to pray specifically for those situations, and that's vitally important. We support courageous believers there that are living under that, that guillotine, that death, that, uh, that hanging rope at all times, and yet these believers will not deny Jesus. And uh, in the instance of the, the young ladies, we have had uh, reports of 22 escapees uh, released through our, our national contacts who have escaped from a Boko Haram camp. And I was reading just yesterday about one uh, 16-year-old girl that gave her testimony. Her name's Anna. And it was just like an everyday uh, day for her where she boarded a bus going to a particular situation and her day radically changed. 
it was a day that uh, the the sun really stopped shining on her life at that time and was uh, taken hostage by the Boko Haram and kept in their camps and saw many, many wicked things happen to the, the people that had been kidnapped and brought into that camp. And, Neil, it's hard to process these things that these young children are going through and uh, we desperately need to inform our our supporters our public here our church to tell them of these atrocities there and also then to engage them with a prayer campaign with an advocacy with a writing and to be able to support their brothers and sisters in christ and these young ladies have a, a, a hard road of uh, dealing with that trauma and we and other organisations are providing that trauma counselling, that healing, that safe house, those arms of love around them to bring them back into the joy of knowing Jesus. Well, we've heard about prayer, we've heard about letter writing, we've heard about prayer campaigns and of course, uh, as you're saying, John, keeping informed how to pray, what to do, what's going on. Those things are incredibly important. And both of the organisations we're talking to today, and uh, I can't speak highly enough of uh, both Open Doors and Voice of the Martyrs, encouraging listeners to visit those websites and make them, uh, you know, put them into your favourites on your computer. Go to those websites and uh, find out what's happening with believers on the other side of the world who are undergoing such intense uh, persecution. Now, Voice of the Martyrs website, www.vom.com.au. And of course, Open Doors website is www.opendoors.org.au. I encourage listeners to uh, take advantage of the resource that's there, uh, certainly to be able to inform you when it comes to prayer. Uh, Joe from Open Doors, uh, we're going to leave you for now, but uh, certainly thank you so much for your input today on 2020. Uh, we're going to continue our conversation talking about about persecuted believers, the crucible of persecution in so many nations around the world. I hope you can stay with us here on 2020. It's Neil Johnson with you on this Wednesday edition of 2020. We are talking through issues to do with the crucible of persecution. And we've heard there are so many nations that are on the world watch list that's produced by the Open Doors organization that just alerts us to the fact that all is not well around the world and that Christians are persecuted for their faith in major ways. Uh, we're continuing our conversation talking about persecution with John Wilson, who's the CEO of Voice of the Martyrs. John, uh, we're going to talk a little bit very shortly about what's been going on in Syria, another one of the great hotspots where things are going so dramatically wrong, uh, people losing their lives uh, on a daily basis because of that dreadful civil war that's going on there. But I want to talk too about some of the other areas around the world that we don't always hear too many stories about when it comes to persecuted believers. One of those nations is the Philippines. You've spent a bit of time over there. That's correct, Neil. It's quite surprising for a lot of people when I mention persecution in the Philippines. It's just really uh, an opportunity for them to be educated and informed about the persecution that is mainly centred in the southern parts of uh, Mindanao, the the bottom, it's the second uh, largest island of the Philippines, and it's a very it's getting to be a strong Muslim foothold, and at, particularly at this time since. 2012-2013, uh, they have been trying to, with the government and outside countries, to establish an independent Islamic state and really, really force the Christians through uh, intimidation and through violence, through land grabbing of their own legally owned property and through um, militant action causing even deaths 
to the Christians in that, that particular place. It's a place where the peace uh, used to reign, but now it's absolutely havoc. And uh, when I was there, Neil, in, in the Philippines, April of this year, I was just devastated to hear the progression by the Islamic State to establish this agreement, which has been signed. It's a three-part signing agreement, and the second part was signed just recently, and the last uh, signing will be done in the Senate presumably early this year, which will give virtually uh, this area called Banks of Morrow and Islamic State under Sharia law. Now, a lot of Christians live in this area. They've had it with, from their ancestors. It's a family uh, area, but they are being forced and intimidated by the Muslim extremists to leave the land so they can have a complete and uh, a peaceful state in their own mind uh, operating under under uh, Islamic law with no, uh, as they say, infidels uh, dirting or fouling their land as such. It's it's horrific to hear what they're doing, Neil, in that particular area. John, uh, let me ask you what actually happens to Christian believers under this agreement. Uh, forced off their land, a whole lot of other things that are going on, uh, the way that Christians are treated. Mm. Well, if you can imagine a small village, and that village may have, say, two or three hundred people there, it may have a mixture of Muslims and Christians there, and there's always been, in some of these areas, a reasonable relationship with them there. But it's been these militant uh, rebels that have come in and infiltrated the thinking of the local uh, Muslims to challenge their Islamic rights against the Christians. Now, what they'll do is, is they do it in a subtle way, in a progressive way, Neil, where they may come when the crops for their rice or their their plantings for their vegetables is just about ready for harvest, and they will come and they will steal it. They'll come in the middle of the night and they'll steal the crops. Thus, the Christians have got no food. They, the Christians then will have to go to the market and they have to go outside their, their barangay, which is their village. And on those village perimeters... There are rebels waiting for them to stop them going out to get food for their family. There are many killed on the road and left dead on the road, stopping them to go and get a bag of rice for their family. It's horrific, even to the point of clothing on the lines of being stolen by these Islamic terrorists. Just to put the psychological persecution upon the average Christian there, and of course, there is the heavy, heavy raids upon Christians with uh, arms and warfare that, is, that they're doing by attacking to force the Christians off what the, the uh, Muslims say is their uh, sacred land in that respect. Churches, John, uh, burnt to the ground. That's the way they're treated. Absolutely. There are churches burned to the ground. Can you imagine being a pastor that beside your your front door, you have a bag packed, ready to go in an emergency if the warning bells and they have uh, brothers and sisters who are on a roster to protect their particular area, just to warn that the terrorists or the rebels are coming. And the pastor or people would race to the door, pick up their emergency bag that might have some clothing and some uh, a little bit of some noodles or food or whatever. An emergency bag is always at that doorway ready for them to pick up and to race away. And that's what's happening there today. I was sharing with a pastor in an interview there, and as he was talking, 
sometimes these events bring back that traumatic event for them there, and it's hard. And he just started to weep. I stopped the interview and asked him, said, what is it, brother? He said, reliving these events has I haven't dealt with that trauma. I haven't dealt with that grief because my responsibility as a pastor is for my flock. And I saw and I witnessed horrific things when they killed my Sunday school teacher, when they killed his wife, when they killed his children. I saw what they did to their bodies, which was just absolutely evil. I find that hard to sleep at night. I find that hard to process. I find that hard to forgive. And it's their hearts that are troubled in their responsibility as pastors to carry that heavy burden. And this is in a nation that's only seven or eight hours away from Sydney here in Australia. And they are facing that tremendous pressure down there. They desperately need prayer. They don't want to feel they're abandoned by the Western Church. Not time and time again, we have pastors telling us, is the Western Church praying for us here? Are they aware of what is happening? And it's our responsibility, like other organisations, like Open Doors and that, is to bring this news and to inform it to the Western churches here in Australia and bring it to their intention to say, brothers, sisters, can you pray with us? Can you support us in any way to help your brothers and sisters in this country so close to home? John, you visit the Philippines regularly. One of those places that you do visit is a Bible college which operates just in the shadow almost of a Muslim terrorist training camp. Correct. How do they survive in that circumstance? By faith, brother. They, these young men and women of God have dedicated their lives to a three-year biblical course. Maybe it would be a particular area of their ministry that they want to do it, but the basic theology of divinity, they would do a three-year, and they'd do masters if they go on from there. But can you imagine hearing gunshots? Can you imagine hearing and seeing at night the traces going through the night sky? And I say to these young men and young women who are around 19 to 20, 21, I said, aren't you fearful of what these sounds and what this is? It says, we are here called by God to learn his word so that we might go out and witness to even these Muslims who are terrorizing our nation, to bring them to Christ. What an, an amazing Matthew 28, 20 of going out to evangelize the whole world in that print, to go out and preach that. They are being equipped, and we're so uh, proud in a spiritual sense to support Bible colleges like that, where young men and women who will be the legacy for their, the spiritual growth of the Philippines is being developed by supporting them financially to to grow in God and to go out in God to be able to preach the gospel and to share the love of Christ even to their enemies. Well, John, we're going to need to move on if we're going to talk about the big hot spot of Syria. But when we're just focusing for this moment on the Philippines, uh, the Christian population there, are they going to be strong enough to be able to withstand uh, some of this pressure and this trauma that's coming from uh, persecutors uh, in their midst? Uh, how strong is the church there in the Philippines? It's amazingly strong. Their faith has even under all the physical persecution and the psychological persecution, their faith is courageous. Even some of the old older pastors in their 70s who are being forced out of their homes are still standing to support their local church 
which even sometimes is, is, is being under fire completely by the enemies. One particular pastor told me, he said, we were, we were under attack when the rebels came and they were shooting their guns, but we couldn't work it out. They were shooting their guns into the sky. And I thought, maybe they're just uh, uh, trying to warn us and suck forth and to force us off. But later reports said that it came back that they saw giant soldiers in the sky defending that village. And what great hope and what great uh, courage it gave them when they heard that, that God was there to, and hadn't abandoned them, had given the courage to stand firm in Christ and to believe that God is not going to abandon them and stand with them completely throughout their ordeals. That's the kind of faith that's operating in a very difficult uh, situation that the Christians are facing in, in the Philippines, specifically in Mindanao, Neil, today. Well, God hasn't abandoned them, and I'd love it if you were able to take a report back saying that you were encouraging Christian believers all over Australia Absolutely. to remember those believers uh, in their prayers. And I know that there'll be many listening to our conversation now who will be following through some, some more detail as to how they can pray uh, for Christian believers in the Philippines. Mm. John Wilson, the CEO of Voice of the Martyrs. John, stay with us because we want to tackle one of the biggest uh, persecution spots in the world today, and that is what's going on in Syria. Do stay with us. We'll come back and talk some more in just a few moments. It's Neil Johnson with you on this Wednesday edition of 2020. Our special guest this hour is John Wilson. He's the CEO of Voice of the Martyrs. We are talking about the crucible of persecution uh, looking at those nations around the world where they are true hotspots, where Christian believers are under traumatic pressure, uh, losing their lives, losing their land, churches burned to the ground. And one of those areas around the world, John Wilson, of course, uh, that is in the news in a prominent way is the land of Syria, uh, where Christians have been very much under pressure there because of uh, warring Islamic uh, sects. Yes, it's, we've all seen the graphic images of uh, a bombed-out Syria and its cities and their citizens are killed by chemical weapons and that, Neil. It really is a chaotic civil war that's, and a real tragedy that has really uh, evolved and brought to the world notice. And the Christian church is right in the midst of that war zone. Uh, and they're continuing throughout this year to spread hope really in that face of hopelessness and not really trying to hold a political agenda or, or even a denominational banner, but all they want to do is lift up the name of Jesus and really reach out to people in this tragic, chaotic civil war, the pathway to salvation, the peace with God. And I just think that's just admirable for the church who is really under severe attack in Syria from there. Uh, let's talk about the options that Christian believers have if they're in a place like Syria where there are warring factions, they're both Islamic and there's Christians caught in the middle of it all. Uh, the, the options there either convert to Islam, mm. pay a tax or face death. Uh, those sorts of options are pretty severe, aren't they? Absolutely. And that's when the, we see the absolute courage and testimony of believers standing firm in their faith. And that comes at a cost, like you said. And we have had tremendous reports of these unshakable believers who have stood for Christ in this war, war zoned area from there. 
And we have reports that it's not just one Muslim coming to Christ, it is thousands coming to Christ. And we just think this is just an absolute miracle when we see our Christian brothers and sisters in, uh, who, who are suffering the horrors and the hardships within this war being able to still proclaim the name of Jesus in a place where their life could be taken at any street, any time of the day. So please, please pray uh, for the church and the representatives who are there trying to help the body of believers in Syria today and to empower and to equip that church amidst their severe suffering. It's almost as though, John, uh, when the persecution is at its most fierce, uh, when there's more pressure than ever, the trauma is greatest, that the light of the believer uh, mm. shines the brightest. And when you start to talk about, uh, you know, thousands coming to know Christ, thousands of Muslims converting to Christianity, uh, that's an amazing thing that's going on and uh, perhaps even connected with the fact that Christians are under pressure and how they conduct themselves in that light. I think that's the crucible that we talked about in Syria and in that editorial that I wrote in, in May, it really spoke to me about the fires of affliction and that heat that comes under a Christian produces the dross to the surface to take away and the purity of the character of Christ in their life then becomes that lighthouse, but it comes at a cost through that crucible of suffering. And I believe not only Syria, but other, other countries like uh, Indonesia and other places have faced that same crucible of persecution and have faced those fires to really purge their faith and that, Neil, it's challenging when you go to these countries to hear these stories and to see these traumatic stories uh, of these believers, uh, people who've had their arms or legs dismembered because of it, and yet still lifting up their hands to the, to the heavens to praise God. It's a remarkable event when you meet characters uh, of this that are likened to many, like in the Bible today. I suspect, John, most of us don't want to go to a land like Syria or any place where Christians are under such severe persecution. And, uh, and that reference to a scripture that you made there from Isaiah, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the yes. furnace of affliction. There is a sense, isn't there, uh, when you're talking about the purity of faith, well, when you've only got your faith to hold on to, the purity is the only thing that can really shine through. And that's exactly what we see when we come there to meet with these believers, uncluttered by theology, a simplicity of, of Christ in their life, but has been caused by that crucible, by that fire of affliction. Look, we could go on talking about Syria. I don't want to miss the opportunity to talk about other lands that you are also involved in through your work there with Voice of the Martyrs. I want to also get a bit of a focus on our northern neighbour, Indonesia, because for a lot of people we don't necessarily appreciate the pressure that Christian believers are under there in Indonesia. How tough is it to be a Christian there? Absolutely tough. It's the most... Uh, populous Muslim nation in the world and though we've um, uh, haven't had like any major eruptions or fires like uh, has had in the past it's still a volatile nation and uh, I was there in April and I was in, uh, blessed to hear the reports of the church growth even though churches are being closed there are opportunities for people still to, to meet in houses just like in the book of Acts 
to break bread and to share, to pray, and to grow in God. And uh, it was a blessing. I remember one story which was absolutely remarkable of a young lady that was uh, goes to church with mum and dad and played with her cell phone, wasn't really interested, but went along because mum and dad were uh, very strong believers involved in the church. And it was uh, a time when the, 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 the service had just ended and she went down and stood by the doorway, unbeknown to her, three feet from her, was a suicide bomber mm. who detonated his, his uh, bomb, instantly killing himself and making an impact. It shook her and it hit the uh, fragments, hit her in her skull and put her to the ground. Quickly, to cut the story short there, brother, was she had severe brain injuries, but we were able to, our team were able to get her to the hospital, and I was able to hear her testimony, which I'll be writing up in our September newsletter, which I'd really encourage the believers to hear her testimony firsthand of how she survived a Muslim uh, terrorist bomber, but how she became back to Christ in a greater way where she is absolutely dedicated from this event in her life to become a true follower of Jesus Christ. She's absolutely changed. Her sister said to me, says, she was once a mean and selfish sister, and I didn't like her at all. Now I love her to bits because Christ has entered her life in the fullest possible way. Well, sometimes we think that when we hear of a suicide bomb attack, uh, we're hearing it in the mainstream news. Uh, there's obviously a lot more suicide bomb attacks that happen than most of us are aware of, uh, something that is happening, obviously, uh, commonly in Indonesia. Exactly. And so we are setting up um, campaigns and such forth there for prayer and advocacy in Indonesia to support them, to support the believers there, just on Saturday, we had a mob attack one of our national contacts in uh, in the uh, central part of Indonesia. And uh, because of his great witness of Christ, they were upset and they tore his house. They beat him to the ground. And we had to get him out of that area to a safe house where we could uh, tend to his wounds. And yet he says, let me get back because my flock need me. I need to preach the gospel. And later that week, he led eight people, Muslims, to Christ. This is the remarkable stories that we hear, and it's those that we serve with a heart of fire and passion in our own lives, Neil. It's just a tremendous opportunity for us to serve the persecuted church who teach us life lessons, who teach us about the character of Christ that we in the Western church haven't even come to grips with as yet. And it's just remarkable because those stories are carried word by word back here and able to share through our newsletters and through our opportunities of talking in churches these amazing testimonies, these courageous believers. John, we're running short of time now. Uh, great to hear those yes. sorts of stories. You're also hearing stories of amazing miracles too that are happening in the lives of believers there in Indonesia. I heard a story which is one of those unbelievable stories from there. But when we get these stories, it's vitally important that we verify, we cross-check, we do all these things from here. And very briefly, because of our time restraints there, Neil, is a young uh, Muslim background believer, around about 19 years of age, was diagnosed with a cancer in her stomach, and it had deteriorated to a point that the medical said, there's not much more we can do go home basically to die she was sent home her father had lost his his wife recently he had no mum and within four or five days of coming home from the hospital she passed peacefully away 
they in a in a Muslim tradition because she lived she's the only secret believers in the village they put the shroud on her and our pastor and his wife came at four o'clock she died at four o'clock and was diagnosed completely dead at six o'clock the pastor arrived and his wife the wife felt to go and hold her hand and as she did hold this this cold and icy hand she leant down and whispered in her ear Rena come back come back it's not your time she said this three times Rena then sat up and looked around and says what are all these people doing in, in my house her fa- father immediately fainted I think I John it's a great it. story and we're <laughs> going to have to actually get people to check out perhaps that we story further on your website that in our newsletter too for the people to see Thank always you, like to end with a great uh, story yeah. of being raised from the dead but John point people to voice of the martyrs vom.com.au thanks so much for being with us today on 2020 being, being available thank you very much thought about your plans for tonight yet forget the idiot box get into some good stuff with helpful and easy to understand bible teaching music and more night vision tonight like what you've just heard there's more great podcasts or you can listen to us live at vision.org.au and remember vision is listener supported your donation of any amount will help us continue connecting faith to life learn more or donate today at vision.org.au